If you want to take your Bibles, turn to that passage that Ruth just read for us in Matthew chapter 7. And was distracted a little bit by the sound problem earlier, so I wanted to just make sure I did say to Dave and Ann how much you've been in our prayers uh, since October 7th, and thank you. And uh, we are so grateful for partnership with you, and we are praying with people in Israel, entire region, and you've been our constant prayers. We really thank God for you, and uh, so we want you to know that. It means so much to us, your faithfulness. This was an article many years ago in the Chicago Times. The editor was reviewing a man's speech. And he said this, The cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads these silly, flat, dishwatery utterances. He was talking about Abraham Lincoln and his Gettysburg Address. There was a mother of a young woman. She was interested in a young fellow who was just getting started as a typesetter. His daughter was, her daughter was interested in him. He'd been over a few times. She told her daughter, I don't think he has the making of anything. I don't think you should pursue this relationship. And she was talking about a young printer by the name of Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) A teacher sent one of her pupils home one day. Six-year-old boy. Sent him home with a note for his mother to read recommending to the mother and to her husband that this boy should be taken out of school, be put in an institution because it was impossible that he would ever be able to learn anything and provide any help to society whatsoever. She was talking about six-year-old Thomas Edison. (laughs) Now... All those illustrations have two things in common. First of all, very condemning judgments. And also, completely wrong. (laughs) Completely wrong. For whatever reason, each of these people in these situations, they displayed an appalling lack of discernment. (laughs) And because of that, they made some very, very poor judgments. You see, it requires discernment to make real judgment of what is of value. It requires discernment. And the Bible tells us that discernment comes from the Lord, comes from the Lord. Now you're looking at Matthew chapter 7, I hope in your Bibles now, or 
on the device that you're using. And we are returning this morning to series that we've been involved in up until Advent, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to begin that again this morning. And uh, we'll be in this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, for the next few weeks. Then we'll have our wonderful missions conference. That'll be the last Sunday of February, the first Sunday of March. Then a few weeks of focusing on the Passion Week of Calvary and the Resurrection. After that, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah, how to build your life in the will of God. And then, Lord willing, after that, we're going to be in the epistle of James, rather plain spoken man, has a lot to say about discernment. So that's a journey that's ahead of us, Lord willing, in 2024. But this morning and the next few mornings, we're coming to these closing words of Jesus in his great message, which has been known for 2,000 years now as the Sermon on the Mount. And just by way of review, since we've maybe been distracted the last few weeks, (laughs) and maybe you're a guest this morning, but just remind us, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus is describing life in the kingdom. He's establishing the life of the new covenant that he has come to provide through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And seven times the Lord has said this, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he is here as the new Moses on this mount and he is sharing the truth of the kingdom. And he is not destroying the law. He has come what? To fulfill the law. He describes the kind of people that enter the kingdom. They enter knowing their poverty of spirit. They enter knowing their great need. They enter submitting to his lordship. And they become a different kind of people. They become a people who can know their heavenly father and live, as he says in chapter 6, with trust and confidence in him, not having to worry, knowing that the Lord who cares for all of his creation really cares for his kids a lot, doesn't he? But as Jesus is summarizing this message, what we we see as chapter 7 in Matthew in our Bibles Jesus is concluding this message and he is calling his disciples on that hillside until us this very day and his disciples until he comes again to live life with discernment. Live life that is guided by his truth. Make judgments that are based on his spirit. Not be led astray into judgments that are not resting on the word of God. And so he pointedly says, if you're going to live a life 
of discernment. If you're going to live by my spirit, by these commandments that I've given to you, you're going to have to live a life with a proper kind of judging. The proper kind of judging. But before we can live with the proper kind of judging, guess what Jesus says we must do? We must judge our judging. <laughs> and so these verses that were just read for us, what you have here literally is the judge judging our tendency to judge. <laughs> so let's take a look at this this morning. What does it mean to live as followers of Jesus? With our, our feet firmly planted on this planet, living with determination and focus, with our eyes on Jesus, but a heart that is guided by the right kind of judgment. Now, don't you hate to be misquoted? Have you ever been misquoted? Um, there's been a few times over the years people said, you know when you said this? <laughs> I said, no, no, I did not say that. Nothing like that. I said, oh, no, you did say it was back when you told that story, da, da, da. They remember the story. Well, it's one thing for me to be misquoted, you to be misquoted, but it's another thing when Jesus is misquoted. And I want you to know what we're looking at here, I believe, is the most misquoted misapplied, misused passage in the New Testament. How many times have you been in a conversation and you've heard someone say, judge not that you be not judged? Maybe you've just made a statement and someone's response is, judge not that you be not judged. And all of a sudden you want to lay hands on them. Yeah, not, not in a New Testament sense, you know. But people who don't know one thing about the Bible can say, judge not that you be not judged and misapply, misuse what Jesus has said. So let's make sure we understand this. What Jesus is saying here is not that we're never to make any judgments. Judge not that you be not judged. The idea there is we should never make any judgment. Well, that's completely not what Jesus is saying. Look at the context here. Look at verse 6. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. If you're not going to give what's holy to dogs, you've got to decide who are the dogs. If you don't cast your pearls before swine. You've got to decide who, who's the swine. We have not only the context here, we have the content of the Bible. The Bible says that we're to beware of false prophets, for example. Well, how do, you, how do you beware of false prophets if you don't judge them by their words, by the fruit of their lives? The Bible says, test the spirits, whether they be of God. How do you test the spirits unless you pass judgment? I mean, you can't even live your life 
Some of you, how would you go about hiring somebody to your company? If judge not, that you be not judged. Well, that's a great employment principle. You get called to jury duty. Judge not, that you be not judged. I don't think the judge will like that. So the Lord here is not condemning judging. Here's what he is condemning. He's condemning the wrong kind of judging. And he's commending the right kind of judging. There is a wrong kind of judging. And Jesus condemns it right here very clearly. And he says, disciples, this should never be your spirit. He condemns the wrong kind of judging, but then he commends the right kind of judging. Now let's look at what Jesus says. He condemns the wrong kind of judging. What's the wrong kind of judging? Well, Jesus is saying here, the wrong kind of judging is judging hypercritically. Hypercritically. What does that mean? When he says, judge not that you be not judged, what Jesus is condemning here, first of all, is a critical, fault-finding spirit, a destructive spirit, a spirit that looks for things to find fault in a person, a spirit that is always expects to find something to find fault in. I heard the story once of a neighbor that came up to watch his neighbor working on a fence. And just so happened, the neighbor that he was watching was a preacher. And he just sat there and he watched this preacher working on the fence. And so he's fine. The preacher said, well, are you here trying to pick up some pointers on carpentry? And the man said, no. I'm just here to listen and find out what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. That's the reason I'm here. (laughs) You know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had a spirit of just looking for things they could condemn. The, The people... We're in a religion. Their religion, the religion of Judaism, was a hypercritical religion at this time. The religious leaders would focus on minute little things of no importance and overlook those issues which are of vital importance. I want to tell you something, friends. The descendants of the Pharisees are still in the kingdom. Self-appointed purity inspectors. Legalistic liberty killers. You're having way too much fun over there. There's got to be a verse against that. People who believe they have the spiritual gift of criticism and feel led to use it regularly. 
You won't find that in any of the spiritual giftings in the New Testament. My friend, the Spirit of God does not produce that kind of fault-finding spirit. Where would we be if Almighty God did not look beyond our fault and see our need? We'd be hopeless. He's not that kind of God. If you have in your mind the image of a hypercritical fault-finding God ready to zap you with a lightning bolt. If you have fun, you don't see God rightly. He's not like that. Jesus says, don't judge hypercritically. Don't have a hypercritical spirit. Don't look for opportunity to criticize and condemn. But even more here, what Jesus clearly is condemning, he's condemning a wrong kind of judging. He's condemning not only hypercritical judging, he's specifically condemning hypocritical judging. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. And you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. Now you have to understand here, Jesus is using sanctified humor here. When Jesus makes this statement, there's, there's a little chuckle that, that runs through that hillside congregation. They, they understand he's, he's talking about the smallest piece of, of wood, uh, just a speck that can get blown into your eye by the wind. And then he's talking about the beam. And they would all understand the beam when they thought about their house. Their house would basically be thatched and covered with a a mud that had hardened. There'd be some few slats holding that up. But everything held together by one big beam that crossed the house. So Jesus is saying, think about it, the image. How can you be saying to your neighbor, hey, I see a little something in your eye and you've got this beam out of your own eye. Jesus is using this for effect that people might understand what hypocritical judging is like. Now, I want to make sure we understand something here, friends. The splinter and the beam have one thing in common. They're made of the same substance. The speck of wood and the beam of wood are made of wood. The the size difference is not determining which is evil. It's not, oh, that's that's so big, that's evil. That's not the point. The, The size difference, when he's talking about the size difference of this beam, 
to a little speck and you're trying to get the speck out of your friend's eye when you've got this beam, the beam is the hypocrisy of that. It's the hypocrisy of not seeing something so pronounced in your own life. Perfect biblical illustration of this, what can happen in a person's soul. To become this kind of person is the man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. Who was that? King David. A man after God's own heart. But when he got, in a period of time, selfish, relaxed in his service, what happened? The Bible says, as hard as it is to imagine, that he saw the wife of one of his greatest and most loyal partners saw her as she was taking the cleansing bath in the courtyard. He desired her, took her. When he found out that she was expecting, he covered up the whole thing. First of all, trying to get her husband drunk. It was revealed that her husband had more character drunk than he had cold sober. And then when that didn't work, he intentionally had Uriah, her husband, put to the front of the battle and the, his soldiers to pull back at a time so that Uriah would be killed. This is where David was. And he was covering it up in his heart. And then a prophet came to him by the man by the name of Nathan and told him a story. And what was the story? Perfectly suited for a shepherd that David had been. There's a man who had flocks and flocks and flocks of sheep. He's going to have a feast. And his neighbor only has one little lamb that he's raised up with his family, treasure, just one. And that man steals that little lamb, kills it, uses it for the feast. What did David do? He jumped up in anger and he said, a man that would do such a thing doesn't even deserve to live. And Nathan pointed his bony finger at him and said, you are the man. God had given you everything. He took you from following the sheep. He raised you up to be the shepherd king of Israel. And look what you have done. You see what can happen to people who are not the enemies of God. They love God. People after God's own heart. But if they're not careful, they can be blinded with a very hypercritical, hypocritical spirit. 
and leads to this kind of judgmental attitude. This is what Jesus is warning us about. But now I want you to notice, Jesus says, that's the wrong kind of judging. But now he says, here's the right kind of judging. Here's the right kind of judging. Jesus says, the right kind of judging is this. It begins with personal evaluation. Personal evaluation. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A few days ago, Ruth and Ben were over at our house with our, two of our grandchildren. Little Levi, Hazel, two and a half. And Hazel came walking through the house and I started laughing and she had picked up these binoculars. And I bought these binoculars for Susan a few years ago and she uses them to uh, watch the neighbor, I mean bird watch. She, <laughs> bird watching, bird watching, bird watching, bird watching. <laughs> Bird watching. Okay. But what was so funny? Here comes, here comes Hazel. She's just toddling and she's going like this. And then she's going like this. And then she turned them like this. And then it, it amazed her because she looked at me and then she went like this. And then she turned them like this and looked at me. Which way do you look at people? Do you look at them with a lens that makes the little things in their life look really big? Or do you look at it with a lens that is a lens of grace and sees that little things are not big things? Which way do you want people to look at you? You want people to look at you with a telescope or you want, to put the, you want them to put you under the microscope? It's very interesting. We want to have people, it seems, look at us as if we are from a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, and look at us through a telescope. But if somebody wrongs us, we have a nature that just want to put them under the microscope. What would it mean to our judgmental spirit if we could just remember what Jesus said here and put it into regular prayer? Regular prayer. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What if we could just, in some regular system, pray, Lord, help me to judge others as I would want to be judged. Our Lord desires here... To, yes, put a holy fear in our hearts about having this kind of 
judgmental spirit because he says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. God will judge us in recognition of how we have judged others. That's a that's a dreadful thing to consider, but it's a helpful thing, isn't it? But I read something else. The Bible says, and matter of fact, Jesus just said a few minutes earlier, what did he say? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. You know what I've seen over the years? From many people even up to religious leaders, pastors. They're not merciful people. They're not gracious people. And they instill that in others around them. But a day comes when they need mercy and they need grace. But they've put that spirit into the very people that are going to turn it back on them. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. How many people here every day need the mercy of God? And the mercy of others. We don't live up to our own standards. The right kind of judging begins with personal evaluation. And then the right kind of judging... Jesus says here, has a proper motivation. A proper motivation. What is that motivation? Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our, our, our judging, when we judge ourselves and we deal with our sin, we're not perfect. None of us are ever perfect. But when we judge our own judgmental spirit, then we can be people who can help others with issues in their lives. We're equipped to do so because now we're doing it with a right spirit. Not a spirit that's trying to pour salt into a wound, but a spirit that wants to pour the oil of forgiveness and mercy and healing into that. What did Paul tell us in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1? If anyone is overtaken in a fault... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That word restore means literally to set a bone that's out of joint, to to set it in joint again. If someone's been overtaken and you know that there's something has happened to their life, there's there's been a, a dreadful thing. The Lord doesn't want you to be the kind of person who says, well, I'm not perfect. I couldn't couldn't help this. I'm not perfect. Listen, if we're waiting for perfect people to do ministry in Jesus' name, it's never going to happen. 
You don't have to be perfect to help other people with their shortcomings. You just need to be humble, self-aware, and desiring to see their good. Your motive is to heal, to be an instrument of peace. And you know what? God, this is so amazing. God's grace is so amazing. His forgiveness is so incredible that people who have been forgiven of terrible, terrible things are not, are not disqualified from helping others for the rest of their life. How do I know that? David. What did Nathan say to him? You are the man. And it went like a knife to David's heart. And he fled before the presence of the Lord and he poured out his heart to God. A little child passed away. But what happened in David's heart? I'll tell you what happened. He wrote a song about it, Psalm 51. And it begins, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. It wasn't my father's fault. It wasn't my mother's fault. It wasn't society's fault. I did this. I'm responsible. But then, go on. Listen to what David says. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your spirit. Generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. Here is David pouring out his heart to God for forgiveness and God did put away his sin. The consequences had entered the family. But he prayed that he might be restored and that somehow out of this terrible, terrible mess that he had made, the Lord might allow him to use the experience to be an instrument of healing and peace. What a God of grace we serve. It is a lie of the enemy that because you have ever failed, you're a failure all your life. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And He restores us. And yes, there may be scars or consequences from what we did, 
However, we're not disqualified from being used of God. As a matter of fact, in some way, amazing way, there's a power to your witness to say, let me tell you what I experienced from my gracious God when I blew it terribly. Amen. There's the right kind of judging, Jesus says. It's with personal evaluation. You begin with judging yourself. It's with a proper motivation. You want to help. You want to be part of healing and restoration. And then finally, there's a right kind of judging that has a practical application. A practical application. Now, this is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus said some hard stuff? Here's what he said. Jesus said this. Verse, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now how many of you have ever read something from Jesus and you... Really? <laughs> I mean... All of that, and then boom? What's going on here? At first, it seems offensive. Jesus said this? Don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. At first, it seems offensive, but you have to understand what Jesus is not doing. He's not calling people dogs and pigs. He's not name-calling. He is describing the foolishness of giving something of great value to those who do not appreciate its value. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. What is holy here means something that's set aside for God. It's like if you had uh, some meat that was set aside as a meat offering. Or maybe there was a lamb that was set aside as a burnt offering. And you decide to take that which has been set aside for God and you give it to the dogs. It's, uh, it's unthinkable. He says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What, what's he saying here? Pearls are what? Very costly. They're treasures. If, if you cast them before pigs, you put pearls in the pig slop, the pigs will go after the slop, and the pearls just make them mad. <laughs> it's the reason someone's well said, never wrestle a pig. You both get dirty, but the pig likes it. <laughs> What's Jesus' point? There will be times. He's talking to the kingdom, kids. He's talking to people who understand the treasures of the kingdom. They know who the king is. They know what he has called them to be. 
They understand the principles of living a godly, righteous life for Christ. And yet, even though they try to be peacemakers, they try to be the light of the world, they try to treat people as they want to be treated themselves, there will be some times when people are not interested at all in what you have to say. And not only that, there will be people who will be vocally antagonistic to what you say. That when you begin to talk about one God and one Savior and one way to know this God through Jesus and apart from Him there's no salvation and there's hell for those who do not repent. There's heaven for those who come to Christ. That will be hate speech. Hate speech. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen... Don't cheapen God's truth by arguing with people who do not have the discernment to receive it. Their heart's not open yet to it. Jesus doesn't say we are to call them dogs and pigs. We don't do that. How could we call people who don't understand the things of God, dogs and pigs, because at one time we were barking and grunting ourselves. They need our witness, but let it be the witness of a living witness, a loving witness of our life. I've told this story before. Some of you have been here for a while. I'll probably tell it again because I like telling it. <laughs> Susan and I, over the years, in our neighborhoods, have been blessed that where we've lived to see a number of people come to faith in Jesus by God's grace. We had a young couple as neighbors right next door to us a number of years ago. Young couple just married, little baby, had come. She was very pleasant, this young woman. He was pretty cold to me, really cold to me, <laughs> sullen, really. Can you imagine? <laughs> but Susan discovered through the wife that he had had a very, very bad experience with church and with pastor in his past. So he was not interested in any kind of friendship whatsoever. But Susan befriended this young woman. And over a period of time, just by having over coffee, talking with her, helping out with babysitting, she had the privilege of leading her to Jesus. I got nowhere with him. I mean, you say hello, it is good morning. It's just like playing tennis by yourself. Nothing coming back over the net at all. One day I pulled up, and he and some friends had decided to build a fence. But they had decided to build a fence after they had drank a cooler of alcohol. And the fence looked like it. <laughs> and every day I pull up, I've got to pull up next 
to this fence, you can imagine how crooked and ugly this fence was. And I just had it. And so I parked my car, and I started over, and they were sitting down there resting a while, throwing back some, popping some tops. And I'm ready. I'm walking across there, and it's like the Holy Spirit says, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm. No, you're not. So I, I walked over in his yard. I called his name. I said, hi. I said, hey, looks like you're building a fence here. And I said, you know, this is going to be nice for your little boy. He'll have a place to play, be safe. You won't have to worry about him running out in the road. And I, this is going to be great for him to have a playground like this. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Well, his wife started coming to church. She would come home and he would ask her questions about what craziness was going on over here. And then finally she said, well, you want to hear what Sam talks about? Okay. So she would take some CDs so he could listen. Some of you Google that and you'll find out what CD is, okay? (laughs) And he would listen. And you know what then he did? He would let her come to church. She didn't know about it. And he would come and sit in the foyer and listen. Then he would leave. Finally, she found out about this. And I said, hey, if he's got questions, I'd be glad to talk with him. Anything. No, I don't think he's ready. Well, I was so heartbroken when he, they moved away, a job opportunity came and they moved away. But you know what? When he joined a firm, he joined a firm of people who were followers of Jesus. And it was just a few weeks when he received Christ as Savior. I, I thank God for that. But here's what I'm saying. What if I'd gone to him, you know, and say, now listen, we got to talk. I want to know what you think about the Bible. And uh, do you understand the, the dangers of evolution as compared to creation? And uh, what, do you, what do you think about election and free will? Oh, listen, I'd like to talk to you about the imminent return of Jesus and his millennial reign. Number one, he looked at me like, what? That had no, those are precious things to me and you. But they would have been wasted on him. But what wasn't wasted was the love of my wife to his wife. Some kindness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit keeping me from having an outburst about that fence. And here's the rest of the story. Guess who bought that house after they left? My mom. (laughs) And guess what I got to do? (laughs) Lord, let me be the one to knock that fence down. And praise God at the same time. It's a glorious day. Set me free. Now, here's some takeaways, and we're done. 
What's the message about judging here? Begin with yourself. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. God says you judge yourself. Have you ever asked the Lord, would you ask the Lord before you enter another year? Would you ask the Lord, seek me, search me, God. Seek out in my heart any wicked way. Are you going to drag into another year the bondage and slavery of of sin that's held you this year? Judge it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us. I want to encourage you to begin in your family. Parents, grandparents. Ask the Lord to help you not to have a hypercritical spirit. The power of life and death is in your tongue. How horrible it is for a child. They never hear praise and Love for who they are and for the good things they do, but let them do one thing wrong. Think about your places of relationship and influence. To know the power of your words for hope and healing and as God gives opportunity, insight, To spiritual things. Would you pass judgment on your social media? That's your account. Those are your fingers on the keys. Those are your words. Think about it. Does it pass the think test? Before you hit the send button. T. Is it true? Do you know it's true? Or is it hearsay? H, is it helpful? Is what I'm about to post going to help people? I, is it inspiring? Are people going to be inspired by what I'm sharing? N, is it necessary? Have you had a Macedonian call to post this? Is it necessary? And then K, is it kind? Think. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. If it doesn't pass the think test, take your fingers off the keys. You're not doing the work of God. Don't do it. And all that begins, my friend, with surrender. We have to say, there's a king of my life, and he has a name. And the king of my life is Jesus. And the best life I could ever want would be one surrendered to a king like that. I was thinking this morning, as I told you, I was here early. My mind went back to New Year's Eve, 1979. 44 years ago. I was entering my 
last semester in seminary. The job wasn't working out to pay the bills. Didn't know how I was going to pay the rest of the semester. Had no idea where, where am I going when I graduate. What's ahead? And it was just like a cloud, a cloud hanging over me that New Year's Eve. And I remember slipping into the front room and getting on my knees on the threshold of that new decade, 1980. And I said, Lord, you know what's in my heart. You know my fears. You know my weakness. You know my concern. I just give it all to you, Lord. Wherever, whenever, however you take it. I don't know why that moment is blazing in my mind when others could be, but I want to tell you something. Over these 44 years, I have failed him so many times that I couldn't begin to imagine what an incredible, joyful journey of following the Lord and experiencing him. We rob ourselves when we hold back from God our surrender. It's New Year's Eve. It's a great day for surrender. Let's bow our heads. I thank you for your attention. Our team is coming. But before we go, dear friend, please. It's time for judgment. To look back and say, Lord, what is there in my life that I need to give to you and leave in 2023? Lord, I I don't want to drag some of this into this new year. Open my eyes. Show me the bondage. Show me any the spirit. Show me, Lord, anything that's keeping me from surrender. Give me faith to believe that you spared not yourself. You won't withhold all good things from us. Lord, I pray most of all that people here this morning watching We'll know the joy of a new year by a new life being born again. That this could be the birthday as they trust in Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray you'd help us to walk into this new year with freedom and with a spirit of wisdom and a heart to help and encourage Help us to surrender to that great plan you have for us. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen.